Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And we have a top 10 show for Dominaria United. It's weird because does anyone care about standard? Question mark. I don't know, but that's how we're going to be looking at these cards. And also, I think our list is weird and the set is weird. So it's it's going to be something. You know what's really weird? Recording a podcast on back-to-back days. Now, I don't think anyone would question our commitment to content creation and our just fervent pace of output. Um, um, they should, but okay. No, they, they wouldn't because we concede. <laughs> we're, we're not trying oh. to assert anything differently. But, it, it, you know, there's a lot to talk about, and people seem to want our opinions, and we're here to give it to them. The indisputable top 10 list for Dominaria. Whoa. Whoa. Indisputable. We cheated a lot on this one, by the way. A lot of cheating, way more than we usually do. What do you mean? Well, we did a lot of double slots and... Oh, yeah. Our it's, HMs it's, like are... a, it's, like a, it's like a top 20. It's fine. Yeah. yeah It'll be okay. All, all will be explained. So this marks standard rotation. I had the opportunity to actually play with the set. Didn't. Instead, I watched Josh Joe draft a little bit. And that was funny because he's sending me pictures of decklists and I'm like, I don't know what any of these cards do, right? Because they just don't have a, a decklist viewer that shows you the text on the card. Right. That takes some time. Yep. So then watching him draft and he's just like, what is this card? And I'm like, I know that one because of us doing the set reviews for Constructed. And then all the cards, he's just like, oh yeah, this this card's nuts or whatever. I'm just like, I don't know what that is. Right. Yep. So I don't know. I kind of have like more of an understanding of of limited than standard at this point, but whatever. We'll figure it out. I, I have faith in you. We're actually good at this, I believe. That's not to say we always get it right, but I do think we do a good job breaking down what's important, getting to the core of each new set release. And, uh, you know, when we run into trouble is where things are like uber broken. That is that is a, a soft spot for us, for sure. Like we failed Throne of Eldraine pretty hard. We also run into trouble where things are just bad. Like I think back to like Strixhaven, but there was no winning with Strixhaven. Like there's just not very good cards in that set. So it's very hard to make a top 10. But when sets kind of float more towards the middle, as I believe this set does, I think we do a very good job getting to what's important. And we're really good at rotation time too. So this is kind of, this is our strong suit right here, I believe. I believe this is a good time for us to make a top 10 list. Dude, you're 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 really saying a bunch of things that are just going to make us look bad in hindsight. That's okay. Nobody will actually we, go back and, and check it. Well, that's that's definitely true. But I, I feel it, you know? I think about it. I remember it. I feel bad. No, no one else cares. I understand. But anyway, start off with some honorable mentions. A lot of honorable mentions. Several. Kind of because... There's some very impactful reprints. If this was not just a straight reprint, I would say that Liliana of the Veil, probably best card in the set. Agreed. No no dispute there. Too powerful not to be. Uh, context will matter a bunch, but Liliana warps the context. So it would be hard to talk about standard and not mention that card. It's going to be very, very important without a doubt. Essence Scatter, another just like all-time favorite of mine. And... It's just a card that I find myself turning to in a lot of spots when you just need a very, very solid curve filler that makes it so you're able to insulate yourself from falling behind. Like it is, it is Blue's Doomblade. And I think that just in general, it does not get enough respect. And then obviously there are situations where if there are things like Fable of the Mirror Breaker and a bunch of like Planeswalkers and stuff, like obviously Essence Scatter gets a, a little bit worse, but I think that Scatter is still going to be very, very good in this format. It's hard for it not to be relevant at, at the very least as a sideboard card. You know why I hate Essence Scatter though? No. Um, I, I, I've probably shared this before. It is uh, disrespectful to my Legends Remove Souls, which I have had for... Mm. almost 30 years now and i really they're just beautiful beautiful cards i'd really like to use them and i can't essence scatter blocks me every every turn of the way it really is a shame i'm sorry yeah. you know I, I there there are no words man i'm sorry for your loss it's all right I'll, I'll get over it brian speaking of cheating tried to sneak combat research onto the top 10 which is functionally a reprint 
And his, kind of, his, sort of. His excuse was it has a different name, and it's like okay, whatever. It um, also has different text. It's not just a different name. Now, is that text listen, relevant? No, it's not. Listen. All right, combat research. You enchantment aura enchant creature. Enchanted creature has whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. As long as enchanted creature is legendary, it gets plus one plus one and has ward one. I mean, I, I can't remember a time when a legendary creature has showed up in these curiosity decks, but it's not out of the realm of possibility technically. And I guess this can make it so maybe you try and put this in more places that you probably shouldn't. Like realistically, you want like one and two drops and curiosity, some some dive down type of stuff, some counter spells, right? That's about it. Yep. I am sure that at some point there will be something to get a plus one, plus one, ward one bonus, but that's not why this card is important. I think as far as cards that unlock unlock archetypes, things like Curious Obsession, Curiosity Effects often do so really, really well. Like they're the difference between a deck being playable and unplayable. And this card existing opens up all of these very, you know, low to the ground, tempo-ish strategies alongside disruption and some of the more versatile creatures that we have in these colors. Uh, I think all of them being put together means that this card is actually extremely important for what standard will look like going forward, uh, what's possible in standard, but it is sort of kind of maybe a reprint so mostly a reprint i would mostly, say all right mostly a reprint uh shore up you instant target creature gets plus or target creature you control gets plus one plus one and gains hexproof proof until end of turn untap it it's always like format contextual whether or not like dive down or whatever sort of added effect these things give is going to be better or worse than the previous incarnation but regardless one mana protect your thing with curiosity on it is good. And that is a solid start to a shell. You just now have to look for some reasonable counter spells and terrible blue flyers. Yep. And they're out there. There's some, some flyers that you can definitely turn to. I think this has potential to be one of the better versions of the dive down effect. Like the, the untap plus one plus one is going to eat some opposing creatures in really big spots and it's going to make it hard to attack into these decks. So a really nice angle for these decks to pick up. Uh, mostly going to save your creatures. But you, when you're playing these type of archetypes, it's really big to have diverse game plans and be able to alter uh, you know, what you're trying to accomplish on a game-to-game basis. I think the flexibility of this version will be good at that. Sort of, kind of a reprint. This one I think is closer to not being a reprint, but it's a little bit less important to me than combat research. So this probably wouldn't make my top 10 anyway, but worth mentioning in conjunction with combat research. Yeah, I mean, we usually do stuff like that anyway, where if combat research makes it, it's like, well, it's because there are things like shore up that also exist that make this possible. Right. Yep. Yep. Uh, also six pain lands. Pretty damn good. Yeah. Big deal. For cards that are not reprints, we have haughty gin one UU star four creature gin flying. This thing's power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Instant and sorcery spells you cast cost one less to cast. I think since we did the episode where we talked about this thing, my opinion has maybe gone up. Some some of it is to do with the surrounding tools available, but mm-hmm. also, you know, just seeing it in play. It's, it looks pretty good. And what was the three drop in the mono blue aggro decks and standard that was like definitive? Tempest Gin? Tempest Gin, yeah. I, I, this could very well fill that role for these type of combat research, hexproof, dive down decks. It, I mean... You need you need a lot of spells. You, you do, you do, but you probably want to have a lot of spells in a lot of these setups. And, you know, it, it usually is like a, a split down the middle, but also a lot of cantrip type stuff. You're very high velocity, so you can scale potentially even harder in some scenarios because you can just burn through with things like opt. And, you know, if you're stretching out into other colors, maybe iteration. Do we still have iteration or are we done with iteration? That should be gone. I feel like that was a million years ago. Yeah, what set was that in? It that was Strixhaven. Okay, so we're done with iteration. So scratch yeah, we that. Have, we have two Innistrads, Kamigawa, and Streets. Okay, okay. So that not not a card we have to concern ourselves with, but any type of like blue cantrip engine, just cycle through your deck real quick could potentially push this to really really big heights. The cost reduction is important in those archetypes as well, where like. You now play this and you get to leave one up and you're representing your, both your dive down and essence scatter or whatever counter magic you're going to use. So the dream. 
Yeah, really big swing there. And I like this card. Not enough for it to crack my top 10, but it, it, it seems like a good version of this type of creature. The other honorable mention, uh, and the one that I think, after thinking about it, I'm less high on, is Soul of Wind Grace. One BRG. 5-4 Legendary Creature Cat Avatar. Whenever this enters the battlefield or attacks, you may put a land card from a graveyard onto the battlefield tapped under your control. I guess I just realized now that it doesn't have to be from your graveyard. I don't think that that adds a lot, but that is kind of weird, right? It's unexpected, and I don't... Now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, but I actually don't know if I had fully realized that up until this point. Uh, and, so Anyway, G, discard a land. Gain three life, one R, discard a land, draw a card, two B, discard a land. This gains indestructible until end of turn, tap it. I, the, the big thing for me is like, yes, if, you know, you, you fable or find some way to put a land in the graveyard, this thing ramps you, that's awesome. My problem with this is that a lot of cards that are like this, if you untap with them, you just kind of like get to go off or you are building an insurmountable advantage, right? And with this thing, it's just like, your opponent doesn't have a whole lot going on and you untap with this thing, you're also not accomplishing a whole lot. So it's it's weird to me. Like, yeah, you get to cycle all your lands or whatever, but uh, you know, what else what else are you doing? So I'm higher on this card than you are. This would have been on my top ten list. We talked about it a bit before. Was willing to bring it down to honorable mention because I recognize some of the flaws you're talking about. I also think the ceiling on this card is much higher than you do. I think the 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 thing, the thing you're describing where you know you play this thing and you expect to pull ahead and it uh, just generate huge amounts of value over multiple turns that's like a five drop thing to me not a four drop thing this is this is happening the turn prior setup for this is extremely easy with fable of the mirror breaker present in the format very easy to just dump your land could get easier over time should we get something uh, like Fabled Passage or, or some way to just consistently put things in the bin. There's the Channel Lands, which are reliably getting there as we get into the late game. So that's going to be like in a type of deck that's very focused around Soul of Wind Grace and using this as its engine. I think what sells me on this card is that its capacity for ramping very quickly, like you will move from the four mana stage of your game to the eight mana stage of your game very very fast with this card and then it's like okay so you're saying well maybe this doesn't do a lot because i don't have a lot of resources if you build your deck in such a way that you're counting on getting to eight mana very reliably you're often going to have a lot of resources there's a lot of things you can do to get yourself more resources when you reach that point and i think those are the scenarios where soul of wind grace is really going to shine because i expect it won't be only you doing this type of thing that is very, very high resource, especially given the colors you're in. You don't have access to those traditional, you know, counter magic tools where you're going to be able to just stop your opponent's endgame. You're going to have to continue to expand your endgame over time should you be playing like a Jun mid-ranger strategy. Uh, and I think this card does that. I think it does a really good job of it. It's difficult to deal with. None of these abilities in and of itself pull you all that far ahead, but I think the entire package, if you get to just combine everything, this card is going to do so, so much for your deck, and eventually you are going to pull ahead in those late-game scenarios. You know what's good at putting a land in your graveyard? Hmm. Liliana the Veil. True. Uh, So, yeah, Liliana Fable, Big Score, Soul, Titan of Industry as like yeah, the card. Yeah, that's, the that's card that you're like I, I, this is the deck that I want to go play right now. So yeah, like, like that, that, that's just a deck, right? Yeah, yeah, that might be influencing me. Honestly, like I'm I'm exci- I'm most excited to do this thing. So that's probably why I'm pushing this a little bit higher. But I, I do think the ceiling is there, and I think if there's like a card that demands you build a deck around it, kind of like we talked about on our previous show, where you have to just do the work and like make the card powerful enough. I this sort of screams. Pay attention to me. Do something with me. And uh, I'm going to. First deck I'm going to build will be built around Soul of Wind Grace. Yeah, I'm just I'm just disappointed that there are going to be times where like you have, you know, lands in hand and you're and mana open and you're just like, I'm just not going to do anything with it because it like doesn't accomplish anything. And that that just makes me angry. That's all. Okay. But it's good. I mean, it's like the card is already doing a lot, right? So it, it definitely, especially at four mana, should not be a thing that just completely runs over people. Yeah, I I think if this ever just puts two lands into play, you're just so far ahead, regardless of the rest of the text box. Like, you have gotten so much for four mana, so. All right, on to the actual top 10. Number 10, 
Vidalion, Mindsinger, 1UU, 2 2 is my invitational card. Creature, Merfolk, Wizard, Kicker, 1R and or 1G. When this enters the battlefield with two plus one plus one counters on it for each time it was kicked. When this enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature with power less than this thing's power for as long as you control this thing. Okay, so three mana, two, two. Uh, take a small thing. Late game, if you have, you know, I, I feel like this this is pretty well at home in both in is it and a Simic deck. And then there are things where you're just going to have triomes and be able to do off-color kicker shenanigans stuff then maybe you can start taking some bigger things. I see it mostly as a sideboard card, but there have definitely been Simic decks where uh, I, I would just like a couple of copies of a thing like this in my main deck to have like a little bit of interaction. You know what I mean? But if you're if you're playing against a, a bunch of like aggro decks or decks with like mana accelerant creature things, little elves and stuff, this card is awesome. It is really good in that scenario. I also like quite like it as a late game scaling thing you know talking about this mono blue deck this being able to interact early and still generate battlefield presence very important that's a key tenet of playing those kind of tempo strategies i also think it's not that hard to put a little bit of red a little bit of green into your mana base and then maybe just have this huge threat in the late game which these decks typically do not have right like they don't scale all that well in that scenario and they can get bricked really hard by just like one big thing so now you're reaching up to potentially uh, you know, five power and able to gain control of it, you'll swing the game really hard in your favor in those scenarios. So this card has some risk. I think it is a, a little niche. I don't think like it's not something that every blue deck is interested in, but a lot of blue decks should be able to leverage it very well. And the effect will be powerful when it matters. So, Regardless, I, I will just attempt to leverage it anyway. It doesn't matter. As, as long as it makes you happy. That's really all I care about. Oh, it will make me happy. Uh, number nine, the world spell, 5GG, Enchantment Saga, read ahead. Chapter one and chapter two are the same. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a non-saga permanent card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest of them bottom of your library in random order. Chapter three, put up to two non-saga permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. I don't know if this is uh, also win grace territory. If you want to get like super, super big, you certainly can. And I'm also curious what the the biggest stuff to do is and also like how many of these do you want to play because you're going to need a bunch of big spells but you can't get you can't chain world spells together right which makes sense so you need a bunch of big stuff on top of these things but this is basically like the biggest thing that you can do in the format at least from what i've seen agree and i again it makes me want to build decks uh, titan of industry very high up on the list of things you can put into play and still play like a fairish game. So something that looks almost like, you know, rock leading into the world spell in conjunction with some other reanimation stuff. So you go Liliana into the, the black saga that is both a discard spell and can reanimate something and can also demonic tutor and mix that with some removal spells. And you just have a really nice late game in a deck that is also, very good at controlling opposing battlefields and disrupting a little bit. So this is kind of like old schoolish magic. It's going to fold a little bit to just like I'm playing a seven, seven mana spell and is my apart, opponent smart enough to just play in a gate and ruin my day? As we saw with things like Emergent Ultimatum, if you're able to put enough other stuff, enough other must counters into a deck, it doesn't really matter all that much. Like you can just go ahead and get this countered and on your next turn you're you untap and play your titan of industry and you're living your best life you're in a completely fine spot so i think this is probably testing the upper limits of the format it could also do some fair stuff it could do some really really broken stuff should it have the right tools and i would like to do all of those things yeah i think these cards also get a lot better when you know say we're talking like soul of wind grace i don't even necessarily think that those things go that well together because i think it's just like too much deck space and like the soul setup stuff probably requires you to play like way more interaction and more of fair stuff or i think maybe uh, you're also going to want like 29 lands though so like getting to that top end is pretty exciting as well sure yeah, yeah. but i I, th I think soul is going to be like you know interaction and whatever and the world spell deck might not be able to afford that because of like deck mm -hmm. space stuff but but regardless like if you're talking about you have liliana fable soul 
leading into world spell type of stuff. You already have a bunch of stuff that they have to like deal with encounter. And that is kind of how the ultimatum decks uh, survive too, was you yeah. play like chariot and elder Gargaroth and like all these things that they have to deal with. And then maybe they just run out of things for your actual ultimatum. Or, you know, if you don't draw ultimatum, you just kill them with your mid range pile of, of things. So, yeah. Like think about those cards you just listed. Like which of those can you afford to ignore? Yeah. None. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, and every single one will kill you. So it, there's something to be said for just like, here's my deck. It's 30 cards that win the game and 30 lands. What are you going to do about it? So number eight is where we start cheating because Brian sent me this top 10 list and it was a lot of four and five mana creatures that ETB'd and just like did nothing. And then if, you know, if you untap with them, maybe a bunch of stuff <laughs> happens or if you play them with, uh, also extra mana open, maybe they do stuff. And I was like, I, I understand like we're, we're taking shots here, right? We don't know like which of these is actually going to hit and be good or whatever. So let's just cheat. Let's just group them all together. Yep. Smushing them together is a answer. I really, really like because I, I don't know that one of these is is better than the other. And I, that's going to happen again on our list. It's just like they both fill a very specific niche, do so extremely, extremely powerfully. And, and one of them is going to have the right support cards to succeed. Yeah. So uh, black and red defilers in at number eight, defiler of flesh and defiler of instinct. Both of them are four mana, four fours. Uh, the black one, it has menace. And then the cycle of defilers all have this text that I will read as an additional cost to cast a black permanent spell. You may pay two life. Those spells cost B less to cast. Uh, if you paid life this way, the effect reduces only the amount of black mana you pay. So all of those are uh, obviously tied to their color. And then the black one has the ability of whenever you cast a black permanent spell, target creature you control gets plus one plus one against menace until end of turn. So this thing four mana four four menace. It, it's okay if you get to play it and then play like a leftover one drop or something, I think you're getting like a decent amount of equity from it. But the real hope is that, you know, you get to untap and maybe you're spending mana on other stuff, uh, like evolve sleeper and drawing cards off that thing. So then the defiler cost reduction stuff actually matters a little bit more and you just kind of get to like pop off. But you know, this thing has menace. It gives your other stuff menace and pumps your stuff should be able to kill people pretty quickly. And then the red one, again, four mana, four, four, first strike uh, has the Phyrexian text for red. Whenever you cast a red permanent spell, this deals one damage to any target. And that one seems potentially more game breaking than the black one. The black one is like just pretty fast, like kind of kill you. But the red one actually has like some board control elements to it. And then we're we're talking about if you end up doubling up on these things, you just kind of get to go to town. So I think it's interesting, but it's it's hard to say which one is actually going to have more of an impact. Yeah, we talked a ton on our last show about format context and like, are there a lot of X ones around to make the red one really good? Uh, you know, our our battlefields kind of sparse and just relying on one creature to hold the fort a lot of the time. Well, then menace starts looking really good. And what do the removal spells look like? All those things are going to matter as to which of these is the most important. But these these four mana defilers, they're just good cards on their face. Like you're pretty okay with the deal you're getting four four for four with additional upside and if it dies it's not the end of the world because you didn't invest five into it it's a very different feeling to chain to lose your four mana turn than your five mana turn with no output so these are a little bit safer than the five mana defilers which makes them appealing the upside not quite as high but if they line up properly with the format either one could be excellent so you know what i just realized what did you just realize Defiler of Instinct with your boy, the Ronin, the like one drop, super tiny Viachino thing. Yeah, 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 that bounces all over the place. Yeah, there okay. you go. Okay, I'm into that. That's cool. I'm not, but. No, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. The cards technically work together. Number seven, Baird, Argivian Recruiter, R-Dub, DQ, Legendary Creature, Human Soldier. At the beginning of your end step, if you control a creature with power greater than its base power, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. Hard to really get out of control with this because it is legendary, but this is a, a very good, very powerful build around. And also, stats are mostly just fine on its own. 
Yeah, two mana engine. That's that's really what we're looking at here. Like we're looking at an engine card that I don't have like a slam dunk home for Baird right now. I am not like this is the card that takes over the format. But as the format grows and you get more and more engine cards and more ways to leverage consistent output of a one one and more like must kill threats on the first two turns where they just can't afford to pick off Baird as soon as it comes into play and is your one drop triggering this? Are you finding ways to do that? Like all of those things are going to be important, but when this becomes an efficient engine, it has the type of output that can just create archetypes. And that's why it gets such a high spot on our list. Even if it's kind of like, I would say like raw power is more middle of the road on Baird than most of the other cards you're seeing here. It's just an engine. It can, it can be the basis of entire archetypes on its own. So Kumano faces Kakazan. That's a good one. Number six, cool. Ether Channeler, 2U, 2-1, Creature Human Wizard. When this enters the battlefield, choose one. Create a 1-1 one, one white bird creature token with flying. No thanks. Pass. Return another target non-land permanent to its owner's hand. Okay. Yep. Or draw a card. Love it. Hell yeah. Yeah, all, all these abilities. And look, I am going to make a 1-1 one, one sometimes. It's going to happen. I sometimes. Know, like, I'm not going to yeah. be happy about it. I better no, be winning but, the game like right No, you there. you will. That's the thing. When you make a 1-1, one, one, you're going to be happy you had that option because otherwise you would just do the other things. So it, it's not going to come up as often as the other ones, but it is going to come up. It's going to be important. Card is so flexible. Drawing, uh, a so, card, drawing a card could be anything, even a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, that's, that's true. I can't argue with that. Uh, and we know what bouncing a creature is, and it is... It's extremely any, it's, important. It's any permanent. Yeah, any, any permanent. That's true. That's so generous, especially like when you think of how many other things this could do. So these things like the world spell, if you're trying to take some time and, and set up, maybe you bounce that and slow your opponent down a little bit, or you have your counter magic ready now and you're able to reset. All of these things could be very important. And doing so while making Battlefield Presence, I keep talking about this theoretical mono blue deck. Uh, it doesn't have to be mono blue, by the way, but like the pieces of this tempo deck really feel like they're there and are worth exploring. Number five, Evolve Sleeper. B, 1-1, one, one, Creature Human. A uh, lot of text. B, this becomes a human cleric with base power and toughness 2-2. Two, two. 1B, if if this is a cleric, put a death touch counter on it and it becomes a Phyrexian human cleric with base power and toughness 3-3. Three, 1BB, three. B, if this is a Phyrexian, put a plus one, plus one counter on it, then you draw a card and you lose one life and you get to keep doing that. And, uh, you know, it, it getting bigger is pretty solid drawing a card. Very, very excited by losing a life kind of puts a cap on how often you can do it, but not by much, you know, and all of these things are pretty reasonable. Oh, I, I don't know how this card fails quite frankly. Like it just does, uh, a lot of really good things and the rates are all acceptable. And the fact that the last ability is uncapped and you can just sort of go to town with it, like it won't come, come up a lot, but you know, we did the castle Lopthwain thing. This is going to draw four cards, five cards sometimes. And if, if it does that, it is, it, it's not only <laughs> refueling you for an entire late game. It's freaking huge at that point. And right. you're, you're doing a lot of damage as well. So uh, an exciting card where you play into those parody states. And I, I think that like is actually what's most appealing about this card. It's very easy to just see this as like, oh, here's my one drop for my mono black aggro deck. I think this is more appealing in like the mid-range Jun stuff we're talking about, where it is both aggressive in the early game should you need to put mana into it and it does enough that puts your opponent a little bit on edge about their life total. That's a really big deal when you have other things that are also putting your opponent a little bit on edge. Like, you know, your Lord of Rune Grace comes down on turn four and it's a five, four and you played your fable of the mirror breaker and you got a couple creatures out of it. And those threats are going to add up and put your opponent in the grinder and make decisions really hard for them as you have these card advantage things on top of it. So I, I really like this card, and I like it in multiple spots. More than I like most one-drop black creatures in multiple spots. Yeah. Yeah, agree with all of that. Number four, Phoenix Chick. R, 1-1, one, one, Creature Phoenix, Flying Haste. This can't block whenever you attack with three or more creatures. You may pay RR. If you do, return this from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped and attacking with a plus one, plus one counter on it. Uh, three is a lot. So maybe kind of sort of looking into going wide strategies, maybe not even necessarily looking at mono red, but things with Baird potentially 
Uh, so like a light splash or something, but this, this is overall pretty generous. You're not trying to block that much. Anyway, we haven't really seen Monored in a while. It's, it seemed like, but you know, there's this, there's lightning strike. There's always a lot of pieces lying around where maybe you can cobble a little bit, uh, something together, but yeah, you know, format context matters, but I, I'm pretty, pretty excited for this as a one drop to have available. I think it's by far the most exciting mono red card. And I, I know people have talked about mono red quite a bit uh, with the release of this set. And they're sometimes into this card, uh, other times more excited about other stuff in this set. But I, I think this is the big thing for mono red. It's just such a good one drop. So evasive and tricky and potentially scaling into the late game. And then it also goes outside mono red. Like you said, I think those type of go wide strategies have to respect this card as well. Graveyard based strategies are probably going to give it a look if they're akin to getting really, really wide. So a cool card looks very, very safe and innocuous, but I think this is going to have uh, a lot of impact on the format. Number three, temporary lockdown. One dub dub enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, exile each non-land permanent with mana value two or less un- until temporary lockdown leaves the battlefield. I like pyroclasms in general. I like having sideboard options that allow you to punish people. This thing <laughs> kind of like has a, an added upside now where you get to get rid of like their small creatures and their dive down doesn't do anything about it, you know, in, in talking about the context of mono blue. So that's sweet. Uh, I think th- three is probably like a, a little bit high for something like this, but these, these type of things just always end up seeing play and you're always super happy that they exist. And then if we're talking about, you know, some of the older uh, formats on arena and, I mean, maybe stretching even to like Pioneer and stuff like that. It's like these cards are nice to have and we'll see play. I mean, just think about this card in the context of like Cat Oven being a really good deck and and how important this card would have been. And, you know, be it Cat Oven or something that resembles Cat Oven, there'll be things like that. There just always are. And temporary lockdown is size agnostic. It doesn't care how big your creature has gotten. It's hexproof agnostic. It's indestructible agnostic. So all these things, it just doesn't care. And we saw a very similar to this card in uh, Alchemy for a little while when people still played that format. Anyone play that anymore? Can't be. There can't be anyone playing that. Uh, but there's a similar card with weird I, I Alchemy thought, decks. I thought we were just not going to say that word. I'm sorry. I may have broken our, our internal rules. Even but... even to joke. Even to, like, throw shade. Yeah, it's just not even worth mentioning. Nope. All right. My bad. Uh, yeah, but I have seen cards like this before somewhere, and they were good. They were really good. And this is probably a little worse, but there is room to be worse than a card which shall not be named and still be a very important card. So, Yeah, two or less is narrow, right? But I do think that it is it is still good enough. Uh, number two is more cheating. And this is uh, Silverback Elder and Defiler of Vigor. We already talked about the Defilers, I guess, so I'll do that. This is the, the green Phyrexian cost reduction text thing. Uh, 3GG, 6-6 Trample, Creature, Phyrexian Worm. Whenever you cast a green permanent spell, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. You talked about popping off with Abundant Growth and Oath of Nyssa. Obviously, we're not doing that in Standard, but, you know, there is that option. And then I will read the text of Silverback Elder, and then I will just let you talk for 30 minutes, okay? Excellent. So Silverback Elder, 2GGG, 5-7. Creature Ape Shaman, whenever you cast a creature spell, choose one, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, or you gain four life. I am going to put myself on mute. Go ahead. Excellent. I, I don't know which of these cards matters. It's hard for them both to matter. And they both do have the same problem, where they create no immediate impact for their facial investment. Now you can guarantee impact out of both of them. You know, the the cast triggers mean that if you wait until you hit six mana with something rolled up, you can go ahead and pop off. Uh, although I guess you can even guarantee that with Defiler of Vigor uh, absent that scenario because you do have the Phyrexian Clause. So, you know, I'm not saying that this isn't a flaw of theirs. They do have the no immediate impact outside their body kind of limitation, but they both fight against it a little bit 
And they're both huge. If you untap with either of these cards, it's so hard not to just get miles, miles ahead, especially Silverback Elder. Like, again, it's the exact same scenario as Soul of Windgrace, where if you ever get multiple lands from this card and your deck is built properly, you shouldn't lose. That should be it. And now that effect is getting a little bit redundant. We're finding multiple ways to scale up to this huge top end. You know, if you're just going Soul of Windgrace into Silverback Elder, uh, having ramped to those two things in the first place, so doing them ahead of curve, and then your opponent doesn't have an answer and your deck is built properly, I don't know that they can win from that point. I think games will just snowball really, really hard. These cards snowball different scenarios, but they both sort of do the same thing where they cheat a little bit against their no immediate impact clause. And if you do just get to untap, you're you're set. You're, you're just rolling deep, doing everything you want to do, pulling so far ahead of your opponent. I think being able to remove both of these cards is going to be very important. It's going to put a limitation on things like mono red that are going to rely on damage to beat these decks. Like if you're mono red and your opponent plays silverback elder, you better have some unorthodox answers rolled up because I don't think you're beating that in many scenarios unless you have done serious work across those first few turns. And obviously these decks will be engineered to prevent you from doing serious work against those first few turns. So both exciting, both with some limitations. I don't know which one to put on this list. One's going to matter more than the other. I think it's Silverback Elder, but I want to stay open to Defiler being the more important card as well. So we'll see. We'll see which one hits, but I believe one of them will. I think that Elder's a little bit more, well, not a little bit. It's a lot more versatile. And Defiler, it's just weird because it's like, they they all kind of incentivize you to have like this low-ish mana curve. Mm -hmm. and the defiler is like, oh, you want to like go wide, but then also have some stuff held back to, to take advantage of that is just kind of weird to me. Yeah. I I think that's doable. Like I, it's way easier in older formats. Like, like we mentioned the oath of Nissa abundant growth type stuff is, is very easy to set up, but we could see pieces like that eventually enter standard. And maybe that's the thing that pushes defiler ahead of silverback elder. But yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think like, in scenarios where you untap with Silverback Elder and that's your only battlefield presence and then you play two things, you're probably still in a really good spot. Like either you've dealt with something important from your opponent. There are important artifacts and enchantments in this format. You've gone ahead and accelerated and gotten closer to your really big end game or you've stabilized. And all of those things are going to have you know varying levels of importance, but they should all matter to some extent. And if they don't, Hopefully the five seven body does. So a lot to like about this card. Elder is big, very big. They're both green, big. Green, six, six green defiler huge. also big, but I don't know, not as impressive, not as scary. Little, little trampling too, though. So like that context Perfect. matters a lot. If yeah. you're you know dealing with a bunch of X ones in the format and you need to push damage, then that could be a big push in favor of the defiler. All right, number one card. Are people well, going to be mad about this? Uh, I mean, I'm mad about it. No, I'm, okay, I'm here. Good. Uh, yeah, a, a little sus for me, but joint exploration. One U instant kicker G scry to then draw a card. If the spell was kicked to me, put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Grow spiral busted explore pretty close to busted. This is three mana grow spiral where there were times definitely when you didn't have green mana. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and then your grow spiral didn't really do much. This, so this, you can just fire that off. Um, and with the scry two at three mana, you're almost certainly going to be able to like put in a land if you need to find it, right? So there are pros and cons to this. Obviously, I would rather have Grow Spiral, but I think that three mana version of that effect is still pretty reasonable. And the reason that this is at number one, uh, kind of similar to what we were talking about with the world spell, is like this is format defining for as far as like the parameters and what you're capable of doing. And because it has that sort of impact, that's kind of why it's up here. But at the same time, I'm also just like, this card kind of sucks. Kind of does. Kind of doesn't matter. Like it, it just, if, if the format is reliably going to, from three to five without loss of card quantity, that defines what the format will be about. And that, you know, either that means you're hyper aggressive and you look to do damage at that point, or you need the things you're playing in that time frame to compete with a deck's five drops because they're going to be able to get there ahead of time. They're going to find the thing they want. And 
like I actually, the more I think about this card, the more I sort of come around on it and think it's even better than I did the first time. And I, I put it as the number one card on my list. So obviously I already have a very high opinion of it. But this scry effect too, where we're talking about leading towards these huge end games, these game-breaking plays, Titan of Industry, World Tree, you know, Silverback Elder with backup, whatever you choose as your end game, this finds it too. Like getting three cards deep into your deck is a tremendous deal in these spots where a card is individually powerful enough to win the game. And if you're loading your deck with nothing but cards that are individually powerful enough to win the game, this card's going to leave you in a really good spot. I, I think there like is a little bit of tension between this and Soul of Windgrace, which brings Windgrace down a little bit, in my opinion. Like I think this is the more important card to define the format, and that actually hurts Soul of Windgrace's chances a little bit, which is weird, but like kind of cool at the same time. I like that maybe both can find space to compete, but it does feel like this is the card that's going to set the parameters for what this new format is about. You know, people sort of slept on Growth Spiral too, honestly, which is hilarious in retrospect. Like how how good that card is and how important it was in the format. It being slept on is sort of indefensible. And I think I feel the same way about this card. I think it's just too important to ignore and not have it be the number one card because it's going to set the pace of the format throughout. At the risk of uh, making us look like dummies, do you remember where we had Growth Spiral? I had it very high. I, I don't know. I don't know if it was like number one or anything like that, but I, I know like I was hyping that card throughout preview season. I would have to go back and see where we actually had it. On our list. So I am lifetime generally explore lover mm. and, you know, playing more lands to enable your explorers and grow spirals and stuff was definitely a thing that I, I, I felt like I was alone in that. You know, mm. people are playing like Explore in like their 25 land decks or whatever. And I'm just like, no, like 28 or whatever. Right. So I am, I'm an Explore aficionado. I think that I really loved Growth Spiral because instant and you're blue green anyway. So like, you know, yep. what the hell. Right. But I also think that in the case of, of things like Vodalian Mindsinger, I'm like, I don't know if this is like my personal preference coloring it. So maybe I need to temper that a little bit, not just like, number one best card in the set or whatever. It's like, yeah, number one, like Jerry loves this card kind of thing. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I was like, yeah, this card is probably busted, but like, I can't put it at number one because people will make fun of me or whatever. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I just know like talking about the card a bunch and like, I remember for some reason, this could be wrong. I remember having to sell you on how important instant was going to be. Well, that's, that's I, the thing I take away from our discussion I, of it. <laughs> I, I don't think that that actually mattered except in the context of wilderness wreck and where you're like, you know, float a man or yeah. Float oh, you mana, mean the card like, they had to ban cause it was so broken. Yeah. That matters a bunch. Like, yes, but I'm saying just like on its face, evaluating the card, it, it, it really functionally doesn't matter all that much. I don't know, man. I, I, I think here in particular where we have this modality and like, you know, the type of spells you may be playing in these colors, scenarios where you just have to be like, well, so, shit, I need to go find a counter spell or something. Like so that. for for this card, yeah, when you have the ability to look at three different cards and yeah. being able to wait on that, that matters a lot, right? Yeah. But when we're talking about using things like explore to, you know, soft ramp, probably you're not like ramping to an eight mana card necessarily, but like using it to accelerate into like four, five, and six mana things. It like you don't care if you just like now you know what though I'm gonna push back on that it did matter a lot in that format too for other reasons just because you had to have counter magic at the ready in so many scenarios where you just like couldn't afford it. I mean it wouldn't have it would have seen a fraction well I don't know if I want to say that it would have been a lot harder to play and it would have changed the context of engagement a lot had it not been an instant and you were able to like see what your opponent did on their turn before you had to decide whether to play it. It would have been harder to play. It would have seen the exact same amount of play. Uh, I do think I agree with that. That's, yeah. It was just too important not to see play. Yep. But it, it, it did change the terms a lot. I think this will uh, similarly affect how the format is played. And that, that just really goes back to why it's my number one card. Like I, it, it, can't, it almost can't be the most powerful card in the set because we've seen better versions of it. Like I'm not arguing this is better than Growth Spiral. So it's, it's hard to believe that this would be the most powerful thing we see here. But it doesn't matter. That's just that's just not what we're evaluating for. We're evaluating for like how does this affect what else you're going to be able to do in this new standard world. And this just screams as the most important card to me. 
The thing I don't really like is that I feel like standard is faster in that even just looking at this list, there are more one mana creatures, but then there's also the new curiosity type of thing where mm-hmm. you're, you're under pressure a lot sooner than you were. And that was, that was kind of the problem, honestly, with the wilderness wrecked decks is that there weren't really good aggro decks, right? It was like, you know, knights or whatever, which is just abysmal. And now you're actually under pressure and there's already a big difference between like two and three mana, right? Like, you know, two, two mana grow spiral got you to your storm's wrath. Yeah. Right. Whereas this thing, like, yeah, I guess it gets you to your temporal firestorm or whatever, but that's, that is not the same thing. Right. It's not, it's not, that could matter a lot. Uh, under, under more pressure difference between two and three mana for a setup card is a lot. And, I, I still think it is doing the same thing, setting the parameters, but it's, it's not like, oh yeah, busted, definitely going to see play kind of thing to me. I think we're talking about some cards here that have the potential to speed up the format, but if you look at where the format lied pre-rotation, the cards that have stuck around post-rotation, some of the other stuff we're talking about, I, I also think there's like a world where maybe it's hard for some of these aggro decks to push through some of these huge bodies, you know, talking about things like mono red, having to play into silverback elder and can they realistically do so? So I agree. There's very nice tools here for the format to shape more aggressively that the individual tools won't necessarily achieve that goal. There has to be cohesive, aggressive decks that do a good job of putting decks on the back foot. If there's not, then joint exploration becomes even more important in those scenarios where everything is just floating to the middle. And if you get to your big stuff first, that's going to matter a lot of the time. But good point. It's very possible that there is a world where you just get beat up too fast and then three is no longer acceptable to do this acceleration stuff. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the, the pre-rotation decks were very much about, I'm going to play like a very impactful three drop, whether it's like Wedding Invitation or Fable or... Rafine or something and the decks did include two drops but they weren't the things that kind of kickstarted the game and got them mm-hmm. going you know it was like well yeah maybe you play a tenacious underdog or whatever but it's mostly just there as like a curve filler and it was really the three drops that did stuff but you, you were so set up to deal with aggro decks kind of incidentally and the aggro cards weren't necessarily all that good Right. Whereas if you're talking about doing like joint expiration, world spell, very little interaction, well, then aggro starts looking pretty good against those decks. But like you just you have the the hierarchy, right, where it's like aggro is going to lose the mid range. The smaller mid range decks are going to lose to like the big ramp big decks with the seven yeah. drops. And then aggro is going to beat up on the fast decks. And then there's like the maybe mono blue curiosity counter spell deck in there where it's like you lose to aggro. Sometimes you lose to some of the mid range decks, but you really beat up on the big mid range decks. Yeah. So I think there's more of a chance for aggro to succeed because it's not all just like workshop war chief, like mid range decks, you know, just like things that only beat up on aggro, which is kind of what it was before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting setup. I'm actually very excited for the standard format. Just give me a reason to care world. Please. That's all I'm asking for. Just let me look at cool standard tournaments and have a standard PTQ season to prepare people for. And, that's all I need. Just give me a little bit of a reason to care, and I am excited to do so because there's a lot of cool stuff in this set and a lot of cool metagame forces that could be at work and, and shaping the world that we get to play in. New PTQ season starts October 1st, as far as I know. And do we know the format? Standard format? Well, this, the stores get to choose, right? And okay. last, season was, standard? last season was kind of a mess because... I mean, for a lot of reasons, I guess, but I think the biggest reason was like, this is the first time that they're rolling it out and everything. And it's take some, some grown pains. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't even expect the stores to maybe like know that they have a PTQ available to them, let alone have advertised a date and format or anything. So I would hope that we'll be seeing that stuff over the next few weeks or whatever, but I don't know. I also haven't necessarily been looking cause I've just been coasting, um, this season cause I haven't been able to play. Fair enough. Sick, uh, sick W brags there. And I didn't mention it, man. Like, you brought oh. it up. All right. Here's here's my W brag for you. Congratulations. Nice W. And I hope you get another one next season. I, hope, I will. All it takes is one, dude. Yeah. I hope I hope you attend the tournament next season. 
and and maybe this season, you know, play that by ear. Let me know what you want to do. But uh, yeah, good show. Good, good preview season. Looking forward to coming back next week and we can unpack some stuff, see how these, how these cards are doing on magic online, uh, maybe across standard, maybe across a different format. We'll see what's interesting. And then we'll come back with something cool next week. Yeah. I'll try and actually play some games between now and then it's, it's weird because I'm sort of torn where I, I imagine there's going to be some limited stuff coming up and Josh is playing limited. So I imagine that I will get into limited at some point, but it's weird for me to like, I want to play constructed first Mm -hmm. basically as always. But then you just dump all your dollars into arena. I know. And I realistically, what I should be doing is like trying to play limited now, but if there's nothing really on the horizon for me to want to play limited, I'm just not super motivated to do that, but I will, I will, build at least a couple decks and then try and get some games in before the next show. And then I'll probably just be like watching streams and stuff. And I hope that people will play standard cause I would like to talk about it. I hope that standard is relevant, but I'm not expecting that. And then I don't know. We talk about pioneer with like three new cards. Ugh. I am an optimist these days, Gerald. I don't know if you've seen my tone change dramatically, but I am, I am now on the side of good and belief that something exciting will come up to talk about next week. I mean, there's no shortage of things to talk about. It's just like how passionate and engaged are we? 1000%. And I, that's where I want to be. That's, you know, my, it's not my default setting, but is where I would like to get to. <laughs> we, we will get you there. We'll prime you up, get you to a thousand percent and uh, we'll crush this next run of shows. Game. Good luck.